Good morning. It's wonderful to see you this morning. Let's all stand and we'll sing together.
Turn and greet someone near you, and children, come forward to join us for a few moments of sharing. I got a couple pictures to show you here, and I'm going to see if you know what we're going to talk about today. You see that? 
We got some more here. Got more here. What do you think we might talk about today? Not dance, but close. Let's look at this dance picture. Well, who do we have there? Do we have some friends? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I see Ella Kate there. I see Carter there. So and there's Riley and Roxy. We're going to talk about friends today. Do you guys have friends? Oh, I know you guys probably have a lot of friends. Now, what's something you like about your friend? Who has something? What do you like about your friends? They're nice. They're nice? Is there something else right They support you. They support, ooh, very good. Morgan? They love you. They love you. Those are great qualities to have in a friend, aren't they? Now, I have some friends, too. And I, they're my close friends. I have my friend Rita, and we love to go out to eat. We travel to places like New York and England and leave the kids behind. Um, then I have Joy, and we talk about our great love in life, and that would be our horses. And we talk about our husbands, about how silly, oh, I mean, how wonderful they are. And we can just shop and talk and talk and talk. And I am very blessed to have two such great friends. Did you know that Jesus had friends as well? Who do you say? Disciples. The disciples. Well, he had a special friend called Peter. And Jesus called Peter a rock. What might that mean? Stays in the same place forever. Stay. That's a good, yep, that's good. All right, what do you think it might mean? Stiff. He's stiff. He's stiff. All right. Well, it meant that he was a good friend, someone that Jesus could count on. Well, what would you do? If one of your friends wanted you to do something bad, not a good choice, what would you do? Would you do what they wanted? No. Well, what would you, would you say anything to them? Say I don't want to do it. Oh, a good choice. We like our friends, and we all want our friends to like us, but sometimes your friends do make wrong choices. And then you have to say, that's not a very good idea. Let's think about that. If they are truly your friend, they will stay your friend even though you disagree with them. Now, Peter wanted Jesus to do something, and Jesus told the disciples that he would die on the cross, and that was why God had sent him to earth, to save us from our sins. Well, Peter didn't like this, and he said, why don't you just go and not go to that cross? He was very concerned about his friend. Jesus said, Get, you know what he said to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Now, Satan is another name for the devil. Jesus knew that the right thing to do was to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus was telling Peter that it was wrong for him to try and stop this from happening because it was God's plan. I am sure Peter may have felt a little hurt by this, but Peter was a good friend and he knew Jesus had to do what he had to do. So I want you to think about that. The next time your friends want you to do something that's not quite the right choice, you wanna be strong and tell them no and be like Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, 
Thank you for giving us good friends. Help us to encourage us to make good, strong choices and keep us strong just like Jesus was. Amen. I wonder how many of you all will be on time next week. We have a time change next week. We're, we're betting you won't make it, but we're, uh, if, except we don't bet, of course. But uh, anyway, uh, next Sunday we have to set those clocks spring forward one hour at bedtime, so you might want to remember that. But it's good to see that you uh, listened to your alarm clock this morning and got on up and came in to be with us early. Glad to have you here. If you are visiting with us, we're glad to have you here and hope that you'll be back to worship with us on numerous occasions. Do you have special concerns and prayers uh, today? We invite you to share those concerns with us. If you raise your hand, our ushers will get you an index card. And uh, if you'll write something down that you don't mind my repeating, uh, we will join you in prayer for concerns on your heart this day. And when you're finished, if you'll raise them up, uh, cards up, our ushers will collect them for us. Kids, we invite you to join us tonight for the regular Sunday night program, 5.30 to 7. And remember, first through fifth graders are invited to join Jessica in the social hall at 5 p.m. for children's handbells. Our supper, first Wednesday supper, is this coming Wednesday. Uh, March the 7th. Um, join us in the social hall between 5.30 and 7 for food and fellowship and activities for the children after supper. The menu is chicken fingers, ch oh, excuse me, chicken tenders. It's a little different. Ranch potatoes, salad, rolls, banana pudding, and tea. Uh, let's see, Chrissy Dobbins has got an announcement to make for us this time. Hello, um, I'm here to talk about the Southern Eats and Silent Treats. Um, our Sunday school class is throwing it. It's going to be next weekend, March 11th, 6 o'clock. Um, it's going to take the place of the midwinter dinner uh, this year. So we're still going to have a silent auction. We actually got some really cool things. Um, a football signed by Dabo, Alabama theater tickets in Myrtle Beach. Um, we went out yesterday to a lot of restaurants. Hopefully we'll get some callbacks on some gift cards. Um, so we also uh, are doing the not so newlywed game. That's gonna be really interesting and fun. Um, we have uh, Jimmy Fowler's gonna host it. And Arthur and Penny are gonna be a contestant. Oh boy. <laughs> as well as um, George and Harriet Strait, Lee and Marnie Dumas, Scott and Ann Comperson. So it should be quite an event. Um, so please buy your tickets today. Uh, the food's gonna be amazing. We actually have a couple from our Sunday school class who are awesome cooks that are gonna put on quite the cuisine for everybody. So back there we have Todd and Stephanie who are selling tickets and hope to see you there. Thank you. I'm sure you'll take anything that Penny says with a grain of, thought, of, of salt, but anyway. 
United Methodist men um, are invited to, in fact, they invite all men, fathers, sons, sons-in-law, grandsons, nephews, and friends to the Men of Valor 2012 retreat March 31 through April the 1st at Hickory Knob State Park on Lake Thurman. The cost is $85 for the weekend. This is a fantastic opportunity for fellowship that no one should miss. Please see Eric Jeter to register or with questions and concerns. Deadline to register is March the 18th, so don't miss out. The youth are selling sweatshirts, and this is the last day for that, so if you haven't ordered your hoodie and sweatshirt, uh, do so today. Um, and I think there was another announcement. Did I, what did I forget? I'll think of it later. If you've got your prayer cards, if you will hold them up. Oh, I know what I forgot, but go ahead and collect the prayer cards. I want to introduce some folks to you as new members. Um, with the Farron, I say that wrong every time, don't I? Farrens. Would the Farrens come forward? Thank you. I just hope one of the boys doesn't marry someone named Height, then we would have Fahrenheit. Then I would remember it, yeah. These folks have been moved to our area from Iowa uh, several months back and, and come to join us. Come over here. I had a shower this morning. <laughs> this, is, this is John uh, Farron, who's on the road a lot as a um, nuclear engineer, nuclear power plant repairman, et cetera, et cetera. Is that right? Kind of, sort of. It's kind of, sort of. He turns the lights on. Uh, and uh, let's see. We've got Jameson. Hey, and Luke, right, and little Liam, Mama Kathy, and uh, Tyler on the end down there, and come, they come to join us from another uh, United Methodist Church in Iowa. Forget the name of it. Christ Community. Christ Community. How can I forget that? Um, but anyway, we're delighted to have these folks and wanted to greet them and welcome them at this time and hope you'll greet them and welcome them also. Glad to have you here. Good to see you all. <laughs> Tyler has joined the youth group, and we haven't let the little girls ruin him yet. <laughs> Although they're working on me pretty bad. Anyway, speaking of little girls and boys, we've got confirmation class again this afternoon also. Prayer cards. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for this day and the time to be together. We're thankful for those that you add to our numbers every day. We're grateful for what you're doing here through us and in our church. But not just here. We're grateful for what you're doing in the neighboring churches as you're reaching out into this community through all of us who are parts, parts of the body of Christ to bring others into relationship with yourself, and we're thankful for this. And these are our special prayers for today. We pray for Peggy Lucard for healing and strength. 
for a baby Paxton who's working on gaining weight so he might go home from the hospital, uh, for David McGuire who is someone with a cousin of someone with a uh, with brain cancer. We give you thanks and praise for improved health for Jane Berg. We pray for Nancy Kiefer and family, for troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. We give you thanks for Judy's positive recovery. We pray for cousin Natalie with unexpected colon cancer and surgery um, for this coming up at the children's uh, in the near future. And we pray for the children's family as well. We pray for a friend with leukemia. We pray for Connie Babb, Casey Hovis's aunt, who's having another biopsy done this week to check for cancer. We pray for Molly Spurgeon, a first grade teacher who's battling cancer. We pray for baby Jude. We pray for healing and comfort for Martha Gibson and Marilyn and Mike Haas. Lord, these are our prayers through Jesus Christ who has taught us to pray saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good news, bad news. Gospel reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses uh, 29 through 38. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're the Christ. Jesus warned, warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then he, begged, then he began to, to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be re rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Here ends the lesson. Good news and bad news. 
The good news is that our high school girls basketball team finally won a game. The bad news is that they beat our boys. No, that's not true. That's... Might be happening, I don't know. The good news is that church attendance was way up last July. The bad news is I was on vacation several Sundays during that month. Several years ago, the bad news was that I, had, I, I broke my right foot playing volleyball with the teenagers. The good news was that due to the great pain from a broken foot, I hardly noticed that I had gout for a few weeks. Good news and bad news. The good news was that Simon Peter and the disciples finally figured it out. In spite of the fact that Jesus had very carefully avoided the use of titles uh, and labels, God himself had revealed the truth to the disciples. Jesus is the Messiah. This confession would be the basis for the church which God was about to build on earth. That was the good news. But immediately, Jesus shifted the attention to the bad news. The disciples were wondering what, what this meant and what would happen next. Would the Messiah begin consolidating his power and, and take over the world? Here's what's next, Jesus said. And then he gave them the bad news. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and after three days rise again. Good news, bad news. But Jesus wasn't kidding. He was telling them the absolute truth. The path being traveled by the Messiah would lead to suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection. And Jesus was telling them all this so that when those things occurred, they might believe that it was all a part of God's plan. It is good that Jesus had a disciple like Peter. He would open up his big mouth when everyone else was afraid to say anything. It's good to have friends like that. He would be the one who would jump out of the boat into the water when everyone else was frozen in fear. But most of all, Peter was Jesus' closest friend. So he took Jesus by the arm and led him away from the, from the others for a private conversation. It was a very pointed conversation, a spirited rebuke, we are told. Lord, what in the world are you talking about? What you said just can't happen. We won't let it. This must not happen, and you must not let it. You hear me? But what Peter had intended to be a very f private conversation suddenly got made very public when Jesus turned toward the other disciples and said to Peter in a very loud voice, You get away from me, Satan. You're expressing the ideas of humans and not of God. Peter had to feel very red-faced and humiliated at that moment, but Jesus must have been thankful to have a friend he could count on like Peter. Most of the time he could count on him. Immediately, Jesus summoned not only the 12, but 
the, the larger group that had begun following Jesus in greater numbers in those days, and to this assembled multitude, Jesus put his suffering and death in the greater context of Christian discipleship. Everyone who would be a follower of Jesus must come to realize that the journey would include some personal sacrifice, suffering, and rejection. Like Jesus, his followers would be called upon to practice self-denial. Some of them would be tortured and imprisoned for no reason in the world other than the fact that they were Christians. Some would be rejected by communities and even their families for no reason in the world except that they were followers of the Christ. Those who would be disciples had to know these things. There was no throne waiting for the Messiah in Jerusalem. There was a cross instead. His followers needed to know that they could expect similar treatment. If you really want to travel the road with me, Jesus said, then pick up your cross and follow me. Several years ago when I was in the Spartanburg district, our superintendent at that time, Clark Jenkins, returned from a lengthy trip in, in a part of our state off the coast where there's a lot of poverty. Seeing the poverty reminded him of just how blessed you and I are. With tears in his eyes, Clark repeated to us the motto that had come to him from his recent trip. He said, we are called to live simply so that others can simply live. Christian disciples are called on to practice simplicity and self-denial every day so that from our plenty, others may have just enough to survive. You know, it, it just isn't right when I think about it, and I have to include myself in this number. Lots of us are overweight at a time when people in other places of the world can't even find enough food to survive today. We're called on to live simply so that others can simply live. Someone raised this very thought-provoking question to us one time. Can the church survive another generation of members like me and you? Will there still be a church on earth in a hundred years? Not even to mention, will there be a Methodist church in a hundred years? I want to tell you some things about that right now. Things don't really look that good for the church of Jesus Christ in our world today. And especially not for the United Methodist Church. In my 35 years of ordained ministry, and I was a youth pastor 10 years before that, I've never known a time quite like the one we're living in right now. Our bishops are in full panic mode. I don't know any other way to, to, to call it. The pressure coming down upon us pastors from up there is higher than it's ever been and almost unbelievable. We're never invited to do things anymore. We're commanded to get things done. It's a very different atmosphere. Pastors and churches in our conference in South Carolina are being told 
that if you fail to pay all of your apportionments, in all likelihood, you won't get to keep your preacher. And some churches are saying, hot dig, we found another way to get rid of him. Across the United States, 19,000 of our churches have less than 60 persons every Sunday in worship. And only 5,000 of our 33,583 churches are considered to be highly healthy, vital congregations. That's a small number. Membership in our denomination has been shrinking for the last 40 years. At the current rate of decline, we will have to close 20,000 churches in the next 40 years. The average age of our pastors is 60, and I'm above average. Andy's way below average. We can't, <laughs> age, on age, okay. We cannot seem to convince young men and women to pursue or even think about the ordained ministry as a calling for their lives. Probably because the cost of seminary training is so great that most young pastors leave seminary with a debt so huge that they'll be paying it off for the next 20 to 25 years. And at that very time, they send those young pastors to the smallest churches in South Carolina where they get very little pay. And they want to have families too. It's difficult. What that means for the church is that more and more of our churches are being served by older and non-seminary trained pastors. Why have so many people left the United Methodist Church in recent years? Lyle Schaller asked a lot of them about this in some interviews, and he found out that 60% of the people that leave the Methodist Church do so because they don't like being a part of a church where decisions are made at a big assembly somewhere out there, and then the local church is told what they need to do. People would rather belong to an autonomous, independent church in the community. And that is why the Southern Baptist Church is even losing members right now. People don't even want to belong to a church that makes its own decisions, but there's that Southern Baptist Convention that tells them some, th some things they have to do. We live in a time when people don't want Washington or General Conference or a convention telling them what to do. And yet those things have been our strength in times past. Our bishops are determined to address these problems somehow, but I'm convinced of this fact. Even though we say that we want more local authority and responsibility, Christian discipleship just does not claim the place of importance in our lives that it did in my grandparents' generation. They were just more committed to the church than you and I are. A newcomer told the pastor, I really want to join your church, but I don't have much time to give, and so I won't be able to serve on any committees, and I can't sing in your choir. We go out of town three out of every four Sundays, but we'll be there once a month. We already give lots of money to United Way and other charities, and we don't have much left to give you at the church. The pastor said, you know, you're welcome here, but I want you to visit another church first. I think it would be better suited for your needs. It's 10 blocks away down this same street. And so the man went there, 
And when he got there, he discovered a church that was all boarded up, closed, waiting to be demolished. We're going to see a lot of that more and more in the future because Christian discipleship just isn't that important to us anymore. How sad that is. The good news is that Christ has come for us. He has denied himself and taken up his cross for us. The bad news is that most of us have not followed him like we should have, including your pastor. We've wanted to wear the crown, but we haven't been willing to carry the cross. Then Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So many people that I talk with today have the world on a string. They've gained the world. But somehow they've lost themselves, their very souls in the process. I talk with people who've got it made in the shade. They work long hours and they receive tremendous salaries, but they are miserable. Nothing that they're doing in life is fulfilling. The thing that seems to be missing in their lives is the sense that something they're doing will live on beyond them, that it's actually making a difference in somebody else's life, that their lives are actually making a difference somewhere to somebody. Some of them are considering taking some pretty drastic actions that will result in career suicide. They're giving up their lucrative jobs so that they can lose their lives in service of others and thereby find their souls again. Others are changing their schedules to make time for more important things. They're giving some of their vacation time to volunteer in local mission trips in South Carolina and other places in the hemisphere. It is the absolute truth. Whoever loses his or her life in the cause of the kingdom of God will find life worth, worth calling living. And life can be found right here in our church as well. You can lose yourself in the cause of Jesus Christ right here at Memorial Church as well. And in Greer, where there are people, young and old, who need you to care for them. Whoever loses his life for Christ and the gospel will save it, Jesus said. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He denied himself and carried a cross for us. He invites us to join him in the life of self-denial, simplicity, and service to others. Take up your cross and follow him. Amen. I invite you to stand as together we affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit.
Please be seated and we will continue worshiping as we receive our offering. was lost but now I'm found I once was lost but now I'm found so far away but I'm home now I once was lost but now I'm found and now my life song once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. I don't know how, but when he touched me, I once was blind, but now I see. song sings, and now my life song sings. I once was dead, but now I live. I once was dead, but now I live. Now my Sacrifice 
If not joined with my life I sing in pain tonight May the words I say And the things I do Make my life song sing Bring a smile to you
now may we go forth from here remembering the words of Jesus that those who would follow him need to pick up their cross and follow after him. Amen.